Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. But it's a test of discipline, and if you study, you will pass. And that's actually one of the things I'm always quoted as saying. If you study, you will pass. The key is to put in the hours. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, the CPA, and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Roger Philip. Yes, that Roger, the Roger from the popular Roger CPA Review. I asked Roger to come on the show basically because of all the good feedback I've heard about his delivery of the material through their CPA Review video courses. Studying material is one thing, but it's entirely another to actually retain the knowledge, at least long enough to pass the CPA exam. Given what I've heard about Roger's delivery, plus the fact that he started his career as an accountant just like the rest of us, I wanted to give him the opportunity to come share his success story with us. And I was fortunate in that he was gracious enough to accept the invitation and spend some of his valuable time with us today. He really is a busy guy, and I truly do appreciate this. If you find this episode has been valuable to you, please visit us online at www.whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or you can do so in your favorite podcast app as well, of course. Also, we have links to all the prevalent certifications in the accounting world as well, and of course, to review courses. That site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Roger Phillip of Roger CPA Review. Hello, Roger. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. No problem. Well, for our audience, we have another special episode for you today. If Roger's voice sounded familiar at all, that's because we have not just a Roger, but the Roger, Roger Phillip, the founder and personality behind Roger CPA with us on the phone today. I'm super excited to be recording this. I've heard great things about Roger CPA Review, and Roger himself started out his career as an accountant, of course, so it really fits very well into the overall theme of the podcast, both from the career progression and the career growth perspective. This really is going to be a treat. Roger, I do seriously appreciate you joining us. I want to go ahead and get started, though, and I always start at the beginning so everyone you know knows where you came from. What initially influenced you to consider accounting might be a good career for you in the first place? Well, great question. I remember back when I was in elementary school. So I was in, I think it was fourth grade. And after Halloween, we'd have all this candy and extra candy and you could only eat so much. So I would kind of save it up. And about a month and a half, two months after Halloween, when all the kids had eaten all their candy, I would bring it to school. And so I'd bring the candy to school and I would start to sell it and make a little money. And then I branched out to chocolate bars. And you can kind of tell how old I am because back at the day, I would get three chocolate bars for a quarter. So I figured out, you know, 
my inventory cost was about eight cents plus tax, although I didn't have any other costs because my mom drove me to the store, so I didn't have to pay her gas. And I'd buy these chocolate bars and I'd bring them to school and the kids would come up and they would say, you know, and they had lunch money and they would come up and say, hey, I want a chocolate bar. How much are they? I say, how much do you have? And the kids would say, I've got a quarter. I go, they're a quarter. And some kids would say, I got 30 cents. They're 30 cents. So I would kind of adjust my pricing based on how much lunch money they had. And the kids that said I had 15 cents, I knew my break even was eight and a half cents. I said, let me wait and see if I have any inventory left. I'll sell it to you. So I did that for several weeks and I was making, oh gosh, three, four dollars a day. And I would say in the seventies, that was a lot of money. And then one time my teacher caught me and said, Rod, you're a good businessman, but you're out of business. So in junior high, I would start loaning money and I would, you know, kids would always need money. So I would loan money for mopeds. I would take things as collateral and I didn't realize it yet, but I guess I was already studying to teach business law on the CPA exam, secure transactions. So I would get mopeds and coins and locks and all that kind of stuff. And then I got into college and that point started, you know, I was joked. Everyone says, how did you end up in accounting? And I said, I got in line and I thought it said acting, but it said accounting and boom, there I was. But I felt like, you know, for me, I loved business. I loved how it worked. I also wanted to study something that would make me marketable. And I looked, when I looked at business, I went to school and they had all these different options in business. And I kind of felt like accounting, it was kind of like learning a foreign language. You know, you study it, you learn it, and then you know it for life. I felt like some of the other stuff like real estate, marketing, finance, management, I could learn in the real world. But I felt like accounting was something I had to study and learn. And it's, you know, the foundation for anything. I mean, when I started my own company, which I'll talk about later, it really helped me to form a better, more solid business as well with that accounting background. So that's kind of how I ended up in accounting and then studied that and graduated and went to work. Wow. Okay. Now we've done 90 or so episodes. You are the first fourth grade loan shark to become. Well, thank you. Been on the program. Thank you. (laughs) And you know, it's funny because when I loaned the kids the money, I always knew that they would never pay me back. So I always took some collateral and I always made sure the collateral was worth more than the loan, obviously. And after a while, I had three mopeds. I still have the coin collection, you know, 40 years later that I got back in the day from these kids. So yeah, it was a good learning experience that I always knew that if I had, you know, something people wanted, I could sell it and make more money and take that money and reinvest it in other stuff. And so, yeah, it was, it was something that I'm actually trying now to pass on that entrepreneurial spirit to my kids. You could have been a pawnbroker. I mean, you were really... Man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I could have had my own TV, you know, Pawn Stars. Like, you know, it didn't exist back then, but could have, could have. There you go. There you go. So you go to college, major in accounting instead of acting by mistake, which it happens <laughs> to the best of us, you know. I saw that you started your career at Deloitte. Was that the official start? And did you do some internships? How did you get your first professional job, I guess? Well, in college, so I got into the accounting society. So I went to all those meetings, Beta Alpha Psi. And then I also, you know, I was friendly with a lot of my accounting teachers. And one of my teachers owned a CPA review course at the time called Mark Doberman CPA Review. And he would always offer me a job. And I said, no, I want to get in the public. You know, I studied so hard. I want to get into public accounting, get my CPA and do that way. So I got my job at Deloitte in downtown LA. And I believe there were about 80 people in my start group just for that office. And I stayed there probably about almost three years, but I realized, you know, it wasn't my passion. I have friends that were in my start group that are actually still partners there. So I think three of the people in my group ended up and that are still there. And generally back in my day, they said about 2% stayed till partner. We've got three out of 80. So, you know, we beat that odds as far 
far as the percentage wise. But for me, I felt like I knew I could make it to partner, have a corner office, my 2.2 kids, my Mercedes and all that. But I felt like you know, if that's what I did, I felt like it wasn't my passion. And I felt like some of my skills would have been wasted. So I left there and basically left without a job. And I remember because the partner brought me in and he said, you know, where are you going? What are you going to do? And I gave notice. He said, you know, we really like you. We'd like you to stay. I said, you know what? I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. And that's this. And part of knowing in life what you want to do is checking things off your list. So I gave it a try, did it, got a great foundation, left there. Then I went to that teacher I had in college who kept offering me a job and I called him and said, well, let me give it a try. So I actually went, got the books, went to Yosemite National Park, pitched a tent for a week and a half, and I would study every day. So I'd get up early, study auditing, because I started teaching audit first, and then I would go for an afternoon hike and all this, and then come back, make a campfire and study some more. And so I did that, and I remember teaching my first class in December of, I don't remember, 88 or so, and I loved it. It was great because I had a captive audience, I could use my energy, my personality, and I could use my accounting background. So it put it all together, and it was like the perfect fit for me. So I worked with a guy named Mark Doberman, and then he got bought out by Stanley Kaplan. So I worked with Stanley Kaplan for years, and then Mark's CPA review started up, and I worked with him as well, which is the mark of Mark Doberman. But when he sold his company, he sold his name, so he couldn't use that. And I would basically teach four hours a night and all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So this was back when the CPA exam was 19 and a half hours, and it was May and November. So it was half day Wednesday, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and then the exam. And then that weekend, you would take the exam home. So I remember we'd all get together, the professors, and we would all take the exam at home, come up with answers, and then we would send them to the AICPA. And on Monday, they would respond and say if they disagreed with any, and we could argue why we thought our answer was right and theirs was wrong. And sometimes they would change them and things like that. Then after a while, the exam became closed and they said, we don't really want your input. You know, We don't care if the answer is right or wrong. Here's our official answer. But what was great about that is the lifestyle. I got to teach at night. I would have, the exam was May and I would get six weeks off twice a year. So I would grab a backpack and I would grab the Lonely Planet travel book back in the day because I didn't have the internet and I would just fly somewhere like Thailand, get off the plane. I would have a flight home four weeks later and I was just didn't know what I was going to do between and I would just travel around the country. And I did this in about 52 different countries. So I had a great time being able to, you know, kind of go between countries and it was a great experience. I really loved it. But then I was working for this guy for years and all my friends said, you should start your own review course. But I was very loyal. So then fast forward to about 2000. And a large company that is still around, one of the biggest CPA review companies in the world, wanted to buy my boss. He wasn't, he said, well, maybe I'll sell, maybe not. He showed him his books and records. And then the company realized it would be cheaper to just put him out of business than to buy him. So what they did is they dropped their price in half in his market, California. And basically, all of a sudden, from one day to the next, my paycheck bounced. And I found out that he was going bankrupt. So on a Thursday, my paycheck bounced. On a Monday, he went bankrupt. And then on Friday, I formed my own corporation. I basically reached out to the kids and said, hey, if you want me to help you get through the exam that's coming up in May, you know, just give me 50 bucks each and I'll cover my rent and finish off the exam. So I started that up in Northern California. At the time, I was really living in LA, but I was traveling to Northern Cal to teach. And so we had had classes that had just started and I just didn't want to see the kids abandoned. So I, they basically gave me 50 bucks ahead just to help them finish the three months out so I could cover my rent. And then I was going to move back to LA. Well, I started up and I had such a great response. And all of a sudden I had a hundred kids in class and they loved it. And I had a San Francisco, San Jose locations. And that 
that's when I, you know, I wasn't initially planning to start my own business, but when I saw the response, the results, I realized, I guess, self-start a company. So otherwise, I would have gone back to LA because I had a huge following there. But I started the company up here in San Francisco, and that's how it started. Wow. So your paycheck bounces, you yeah. figure out, I got to do something. So you, you know, go ahead and start your own. Did you sort of have to build it as you were teaching it? I mean, what? oh, yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I basically, like I said, on Monday, I called the boss and said, well, what's going on? He said, look, I'm out of money. You know, do whatever you want. I was like, wow. So I went out, you know, went out feeling sorry for myself, had a bunch of drinks that night. And then on Tuesday, a bunch of kids wrote me like, I can't believe you did this. We just paid for the course. We lost our money. And I'm like, dude, my paycheck for the last three and a half months just bounced because at the time he said, hey, can I pay you next month? I'm like, sure, no problem. I had no idea how badly he was doing as far as financially because it was hurting him a lot when the competitor you know, dropped their price in half. Incidentally, he had sued them for antitrust price fixing, but before anything could happen, he went bankrupt. So that went to the trustee and bankruptcy and seven years later they settled. So it took seven years to resolve that issue. And in the meantime, I just started up. So I basically started up with teaching out of the books and helping the kids. And then the kids were like, wow, this is great. Are you going to have a course next time? And I'm like, um, I guess so. So then I started having to write books. So I had to write all four books myself from scratch. So I wrote the four books. And basically what I did is I would go and I started writing marketing flyers. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife of 13 years, she knew more about computers because I didn't even have a computer. So she set up our first website in 2001. So we started the company February of 2001. And we started to set up a website and set up this and that. And she would make my marketing flyers. And I remember I would go to campuses and I would hand out flyers on campus. So I'd go to the class, let's say intermediate or advanced accounting. And I'd walk in there five minutes before the teacher did. And I would hand out flyers and say, hi, here's some information about my review course. If you have any questions, da da da, check out our website. And I would hand that out. And then the teacher would come in and I would leave. Or the teacher would say, who are you? What are you doing? And I said, I'm talking about the CPA exam. And some would say, oh, great. Why don't you stay? And we'll have question answer. And some were like, get out of here. You're not, you know, and so on. So I had to be kind of aggressive to get the word out. And then in between class visits, I would sit in the student union and write books. So I would write a book. I would write from, you know, 1210 to one to, let's say to 1250. At 1250, I would go grab my stuff, go to the class, visit it, hand out flyers, leave at 105, go back and write books again. And I would do this every day. Friday night, I would go to Kinko's and I would Xerox the books. Xerox the stuff I wrote and then put three holes in it and I handed out to the students and taught Saturday and Sunday. So it was, you know, when they say 16, 18 hour days, I was doing that seven days a week for a long time. So I had to write all the books. I had to market the course. I had to get it out there, but it was working well. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was pretty exciting. And then I said, oh, wait, you know what? It was a lot of work to get that going. But I said, okay, now we're growing. I need to hire somebody because I was doing the shipping. I mean, I was doing everything. So the first scary thing was hiring someone for 30 grand a year because you're like, oh my gosh, can I afford this person? And I remember that was, you know, the first employee I ever hired was to do the shipping. And it was one of my past students who needed a part-time job and he would do shipping. Then I realized there was a market because people had to miss class sometimes or wanted them. So I would film the classes and then I would bring them home and I would copy them onto VCR, you know, VHS tapes. So I had 25 VHSs in my my living room. 
And what I would do is I would, you know, film the class, then I would take the tape, and then I would put it in the master one, and then I had it connected to 25 other VCRs. And I would push record, 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 record on all of them, and then push play on the master one. And it would take three hours to copy. So I would set my alarm, and every night, at every three and a half hours, run down, pull out 25 videos, put the new ones in that I pre-labeled, and that's how I copied my course in real time. So then I started selling it and mailing you this package that weighed 50 pounds that had books and videos and all that. And so it took real time. I mean, it took me 90 hours to make a 90-hour course. It was crazy. And then we went from that to DVDs and then from that to USB drives and then from that to thumb drives. And now we have mobile where you can just access it online. So, I mean, the Internet's been great for us. We've always been on the cutting edge of technology. I mean, it's great that I've hired all these young kids that are tech savvy. You know, so it's amazing. And now if you wanted to copy them onto thumb drives, I could do 20 of them in 10 minutes. And now, you know, back in the day, it would take me 90 hours each. So it was, you know, it's come a long way, but that's how it was in early 2001, 2002, and so on. So it was a lot of work. But, you know, when you're working, you know, there's nothing like running your own business. There's nothing like being an entrepreneur. And it's a lot easier if it's a successful business. It's hard to work 18 hours a day and be losing money. So if you can make something and you're passionate about something and you can make it work, it's exciting. It's exciting, but it's a lot of work. And I always tell people, they ask, you know, what advice? I always say, realize you're going to work harder than you ever imagined. And that's what I had to do. I mean, I was right. And then just as I finished the books, what do they do? They change the exam, make it computerized. Then they change it again and add a new part called BEC. So every time I was ready to come up for air and take a quick break, boom, something else was thrown my way. Oh, yeah, but, that's the nature you know, of the exam. You, you have to oh, do yeah. a lot of changes. <laughs> it's the nature of life, too, actually. You know, you just, it was a lot of work to keep up with it. But, it, you know, and it was funny because someone just last week, there was something going on. So I took care of it. And they always say, if you want to get something done, give it to someone who has no time because they will get it done. That's a good point. That is a yeah. good point. What do you find rewarding about it now? I mean, like you say, because a lot of time has passed. What drives you? What drives me is I love helping people accomplish their goal. You know, whether it's my goal or not, whether being a partner in a firm was my dream or not, it wasn't, but it's someone else's. And so I can take this material that's not always the most exciting or the most energetic, but I can give it energy, vitality, humor. So I love teaching people. I love helping people accomplish their goal. And back when we started, we were just a local course, and now we're international. I deal with Korea, Japan, and all over the U.S. So we kind of evolved from a brick-and-mortar classroom setting to moving to a fully online educational product. I had live classes until about 2012 when I realized that, you know, nobody wants to come live. They want to watch it 24-7 around their schedule. So I loved that. I also love evolving by creating new products. Earlier this year, we launched a product called SmartPath, which is a predictive technology, which really changes the way that people study and learn. Up until now, it's always been about you got to have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of questions and the repetition. What we did is we created this data-driven platform of predictive technology that goes through and it says, okay, what have the thousands of successful candidates done to pass the exam? So what it tells us is pretty much how and where to study your efforts, to focus your efforts. So we went from, you know, an 88% pass rate up to a lot of these kids following the rules are doing 92 to 94% pass rates because what it does is it says, here's a section. Let's say you're talking about the first section of audit. Here's planning and so on. 
Well, instead of doing all 400 questions in that section, let's feed you questions of what our past students who successfully passed this part of the exam did. And once you get through those number of questions with that percentage right, it says, okay, you know this section well enough, move on to the next section. Because some companies will say, here's 15,000 questions, more is better. Well, that's not really true. It's overkill. So I'm trying to make it as effective, as efficient as possible. So one of the things that's exciting for me is always creating new products that are cutting edge to keep the students focused, energized, and so on. And back in the day when, you know, it was just me lecturing, that was really the focus. Now it's a combination of me lecturing, but all the other additional products that give all these diagnostic output and so forth that everyone's interested in. And it's funny how it's changed because it used to all be about just the one thing. And now it's, you know, when I studied for the exam, it was a paper pencil and we had a book. That was it. Now everyone wants bells and whistles and this and that. I wonder how much time I'm spending per question, you know, what percentage right and this, you know, all the specifics where for us, it's like bonds are bonds are bonds. You know, you got to study bonds, learn bonds, practice bonds and understand the seven different things that they historically test. So that's kind of what keeps me motivated is, again, the short answer is just helping people accomplish their goal. It keeps it exciting and relevant for me. You know, since it's you on the phone, I have to ask some of these questions. What do you feel are some of the pitfalls or challenges or mistakes that people make that aren't successful passing the exam in y'all studies? What have you found? What I've found, I mean, I always like to start out by letting people know it's not an IQ test, right? You don't have to be a genius to be a CPA. And I always joke, you know, look around you in the office. Do they look like geniuses? I don't think so, right? But it's a test of discipline. And if you study, you will pass. And that's actually one of the things I'm always quoted as saying. If you study, you will pass. The key is to put in the hours. And so I feel like, you know, as long as the students are walking in realizing, you know, it takes about three to 400 hours to prepare for it. And that's not a number I make up. It's what the AICPA says, an average success candidate would spend. So setting up a study schedule, balancing it, taking maybe one part at a time. In my day, we had to take all four parts at once. You had to pass at least two parts and get at least a 50% on the parts not passed. Today, you can study for a part and take a part and study for a part and take a part. So it changed the nature and way in which people prepared. So I think, you know, setting up a schedule, sticking to that schedule, we have interactive study schedules online that you can put in your date and it'll tell you when to study, how much to study and so on. So, I mean, there's a lot more hand-holding going on today based on technology than there was back in my day, for example. Mm, That's a good point. What are some of, I guess, the commonalities or best practices among the people that do pass, you know, the successful? As people successfully move through the exam, do you guys see any trends or commonalities? Yeah, I mean, I always tell my students, the main thing is come in with the right attitude. Don't procrastinate. It's easy to get sidetracked. You know, the worst thing is when someone passes a part and they've got it for 18 months and then they don't pass the rest and they start to lose their legs or lose the parts that they've passed. So a lot of times kids will lose confidence. So part of what I'm doing is I'm not only teaching accounting, but I'm also motivating the kids to stick with it, you know, to keep putting the hours in in order to help accomplish that goal. So that's kind of, you know, the main thing is just coming in with the right attitude, you know, and picking the product that best works for you, the way you learn. Okay. Any thoughts on the future of the profession itself or the future of the exam? Yeah, I mean, the exam's constantly evolving. I know I meet with the AICPA several times a year. 
about the exam, the changes, and so on. I think as the exam keeps evolving, it's trying to evolve to match kind of the real world because they went out there, they had some changes in 2017 where they're trying to make it real world. They talked to firms, professionals, professors, and they said, okay, what are new candidates missing? And they scared they're missing the critical thinking and the ability to analyze information. And so I think the way the exam is evolving based on what Bloom's taxonomy of educational objectives, where it's the hierarchy and it talks about, you know, remembering and understanding and application and evaluation and so on. So I feel like it's changed where it said, okay, we realize that in the real world, people need to analyze information. People need to evaluate information. So that's where some of those changes come from and also came from in the past. So I think the exam is going to try to stay much more current now. In the past, they would update it every six years. Due to technology, they said they're going to update it about every four years. So, you know, you'll continue to see those changes. Kind of like when I said when I started the company, I got it written, I got it all up and running, and then boom, they added a new part BEC. Then boom, they change it to a computerized exam and so on and so on. So they're always trying to make those changes to make it as real world as possible. And that's where in this day and age now, the exam includes analysis and evaluation for audit, where in audit, they want you to evaluate information and draw a conclusion. So they're trying to make it as real world as possible. Is that making it harder for you to create the preparation materials if more and more of the exam is based on critical thinking and you know, evaluating information and it's less A, B, C, D? You don't have to pick the right yeah. answer. I mean, your score, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean, in today's exam, there's five testlets. Two of the five are multiple choice. So two-fifths of it's multiple choice, but 50% of your score is on those multiple choice. So 50% of your score is multiple choice. The other 50% is on problems. So what we call TBS, task-based simulations. They could be a TBS. They could be a research question. They could be a written communication for the BEC exam. And then they also have the research. So yeah, it does. I mean, our problems have to become more complex. We have exhibits that you've got to have. So as you're going through, you know, I always joke that like in the olden days, the exam would have a couple of, here's four bullet points that go with this problem, answer it. Now they have exhibits where you've got to click on the exhibit and see what it is. It's a letter from the controller, an invoice from your attorney, a working trial balance. So they're going to give you more real world documents to give you more of a hands-on experience. And I think that's one of the things that I missed back in my day to get certified. You had to work for two years. The rules changed instead. Okay, instead, now you need 150 semester units instead of 120, but you only need one year. And I think that, you know, they made that law. So unfortunately, we can't really go back, not very easily at least. But I think that second year of public accounting really helps, you know, make better CPAs, more so than the extra year of college. But, you know, those are just some of the changes that they've made throughout the years and how they're trying to keep things up to date. But yeah, yeah, great question. It does. It makes it, you know, more challenging for us because we've got to set up simulated research questions. We've got to set up more detailed problems. So yeah, so I've, you know, I have a web development department that I never needed years ago. And now it's an integral part of our company, you know, web dev and then social media and digital marketing and all these things that 20 years ago when I started the business didn't really exist or people didn't purchase your course based on online, they would see you in person. Same kind of thing with how the product is, you know, it was a paper pencil. I just had to teach you to bubble in ABCD and solve a lease problem. Now we've got to have all the inner workings and same thing with your studying. So, I mean, it's really helped students, though, to become more efficient in their studying. Okay. 
What's next for Roger CPA Review? Is there anything we should look to be coming out on the market? Anything you're expanding into? Or are you just keeping up? Because I, I know changes are... <laughs> I, start, oh, I have yeah. to tell you, at the start of this interview, I envied you when you said you had six weeks a year twice, you know, twice, you know, a year off. And now as we get into this section, I'm not sure I envy your job anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, a lot of work. Well, yeah. Well, actually, yes. You make the life you lead. Yes, it's true. I mean, back in the day, yeah, I had, oh, I loved it. It was, and I remember complaining to my mom going, gosh, I feel like I could do more in life and I'm just teaching and traveling. And she said, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And she was right because I had a great life and I still do. It's changed. But yeah, back in the day when I could travel to all these countries and, you know, that also probably kept me single an extra 15 years because I was just so independent. But I mean, in the, what we see, you know, we never sit still, right? We're continuously listening to the market, to our students, to see what we can create to best serve them. And we're coming out this summer. We're releasing our new mobile app, which is really cool because it allows students to study anytime, anywhere. And, you know, people are trying to squeeze in study time whenever they can in their busy schedules. I mean, everyone's overcommitted in life, it seems like. So basically, whether they're commuting to work or here, there, they can access our full course on our mobile app, on their iPad, their iPhone. They can access the lectures, access the e-textbooks. They can sync between devices. So if they're doing it on their phone, they can sync it with their desktop or laptop. They can download the lectures. So, you know, when I was talking about we had USB drives and flash drives and DVDs, all of that is now accessible to be downloaded. And then pretty soon we're going to have the multiple choice and the flashcards on there. So a rolling stone gathers no moss, and that is us. I mean, we're always on the cutting edge of technology, just like that thing I mentioned earlier about our smart path, which is great because it helps to make people study time much more efficient. You don't have to do 15,000 questions if you can get the same results in four or 5,000 questions and know that you understand an area, you know, you can at least try to balance your life. Yes, yeah. oh, that's so much better. As data analysis put to good use, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it really is. It really is. <laughs> well, I want to be respectful of your time, and I end every podcast with the same three questions. I, I hate to end this because this has been a really good conversation, but we should get to that part. The first one's usually the easiest for the guest, and it's career-wise, what has been your proudest moment? I think realizing that I built this company and that the company was going to succeed. I mean, it's stressful and scary when you're starting something and you're working so hard, but I think becoming successful, hitting my goals, and then providing for my 40-plus staff and their families. I mean, that makes me feel great that I'm providing a great lifestyle. And I tell my staff, I go, you know, I want you to enjoy coming to work. I remember I had this girlfriend and she hated her job. And every Sunday night, she stressed out and, oh, my God, I got to go to work. And she was living, you know, like those songs, living for the weekend because she dreaded Monday through Friday. And I tell my staff, look, if you're not enjoying or you're not challenged, come to me and I'll try to give you something different to challenge you. And if I can't do it, maybe it's time for you to move on. So that, you know. Giving people a great lifestyle, and I have people that have been with me 14 and 10 and 8 and 6 years and so on. I mean, they've just the gambit. And I try to give them a good quality of life, you know, because I feel like this is it. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I'll come back like a cat, you know, nine lives, eight more times. But in case I'm wrong, I want my staff to enjoy what it is they're doing. So I tell people success is enjoying what you do day to day. And I think for me, I remember one time my mom said to me, I don't know if I've told you, honey, but I'm so proud of you. And I said, you know what? For the first time in my life, I really feel proud of me. And it's not, you know, your whole life you want your parents' accolades. And I said, you know what? For the first time, I don't need to hear that as much as I now feel it. And so I think for me, that was a great moment when I really realized that I created something that I was passionate about. Mm, that is beautiful. 
You know, I'd be curious, or obviously we'll never know, but I'm curious how you would have done if your paychecks hadn't bounced, you know, because so often successful businesses are started out of something like that. (laughs) No, you know, and that's true. And chances are I'd still be doing the same thing and being an employee, which was nothing wrong with it because I had a great balanced life and I enjoyed it. But I was also very loyal. And like I said, my friends were saying, oh, you could do better. You could create your own. But I just didn't feel like it was the right thing to do because I figured my boss brought me into the business. I had a good lifestyle. Let's enjoy it. And then when all of a sudden push came to shove and he went bankrupt and then the competitor that put him out of business was calling me, offering me a job. And then they got my email saying I was going to teach a class and they said, oh, well, you can't do that. You could get sued. So it was weird. I was getting a job offer and threatened in the same phone call. And I said, you know what? Let's give it a shot. And that's one of the things it's like, you know, in life, you should take risks, you know, calculated risks, not be too crazy. But you should take risks because there's so many people that are afraid of failure. But if you don't take that risk, you've already failed. So you may as well try and fail as opposed to just not you know, being afraid of it. And that's what too many people are. They're just afraid of failure. And because of that, they don't push themselves. And you spend so many hours working and you should use this throughout your life, in life in general. You know, challenge yourself, push yourself and you know, be, and it sounds like a military thing, be all that you can be, but you really should. Because, you know, at the end of life, there's no trophy. You're gone. That's it. So you may as well push it while you're here and enjoy the process. So, yeah, that's a good point. Had my boss not gone bankrupt, I may still be an employee for that person, which would have been a fine life. But I learned so much about myself by pushing myself. And I learned so much about life. And then when you actually create and build something, become a successful entrepreneur, you look around you at other people and you see they have that same passion and spark and zest for life. And that's what I find really important. There you go. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. But frankly, (sighs) the bigger, the better. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to think. I mean, I remember when my wife and I started the business and I said, and things started going well, and I said, you know what? As long as we don't make a big mistake, we will be fine. And I remember we were a year into our course, into the company. And I remember I was in San Luis Obispo doing marketing, handing out flyers, giving speeches and all that kind of stuff at the university. And all of a sudden I go to log on and our website's gone. I'm like, what happened? I'm thinking the competitor bought it. They put us out of business. What? And I'm like, oh my. And what happened is when we started the company, my wife set up all the domain names because I didn't know anything about that. And she had worked at Sprint at the time. And then she quit her job and came to work for us full time. And all the renewals had gone to her old job. So I didn't know that. And we had only bought these domain names for a year because we didn't really plan. I didn't plan on doing this forever. So the biggest mistake was all of a sudden they were gone. And then I thought, oh my gosh, they're now gone. They're available. Anyone could buy Roger CPA Review, for example. And so I found out, no, they had it. I had like 90 days to renew it. And, but that could have been a catastrophic mistake because I spent all this time building up this name and all of a sudden it could have been taken away from me. And so, you know, and it was funny because I'd always said, as long as we don't make a big mistake and every little, you know, most mistakes, little, 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 and whatever you deal with it. But actually this brings up an important quote my grandmother said. And my grandmother, my parents, my background, my parents are from Germany and they had to leave, you know, because because of Hitler, you know, Nazi Germany. Back in the late 30s, my dad got out in October 41, which was really late. I mean, rare. And I think that gave me a whole different perspective on life and what's important, because back then, everything could be taken away in a nutshell. But my grandmother once said, and I always quote this when I get overwhelmed at work, she said, any problem that can be solved with money isn't a problem. And it's true. 
You know, because you look at things, you stress out about things. And I go, you know what? I get a letter from someone, you know, let's say a competitor is threatening to sue me or something. And I go, oh, and I go, you know what? I can get over this. It's not like I caught some disease that is incurable. So I like that quote. Any problem that can be solved with money isn't a problem. Wow. Yes, that is deep. Actually, we had a CFO uh, well-known here in this area on the show probably six months ago, and one of his thoughts or one of his pieces of advice was that, you know, there are some true problems in life, but many things are just an expense. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yes, debit expense, credit payable. Yes, exactly. No, that's true. That's very true. That's very true. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think, and actually I think some of the advice, one of it is actually a song that I kind of quote when I give presentations on setting goals and achieving success in life. It's a, a singer kind of in my era named James Taylor, and he has a song, The Secret of Life is Enjoying the Passage of Time. And I look at that like, that is so true. Life is short. You need to set goals. And I always look at a goal is, you know, we're working towards something. But I also remember hearing someone say that goals without a plan are merely wishes. A lot of times people say, I want to be rich. Okay, that's a great goal. What's your plan? They go, I don't know. Well, then it's not really a goal. It's a wish. And so I think the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time where time is just going to keep ticking by. And it's up to you to choose how you want to spend that time. Use it wisely. Set your goals. And you too will be a success in life. So it's a matter of what's going to make you successful. A lot of people think of success as money. Success is enjoying what you have in life, you know, feeling good about what you've created, what you've developed, what you've got. That to me is success, not always wanting more, 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 but really appreciating what you have. So I think, you know, I take that away. The secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. It's really the secret. It's not about the nice car you have or this, that, or the other. It's about your lot in life and what you've created. You know, I always say life is not a dress rehearsal. There's no trophy at the end. You know, enjoy it, embrace it, and you too will have a successful, happy life. That is good, and it applies to taking the CPA exam as well. (laughs) It does. It does. You know, I mean, I always joke. I tell people, I go, I worked really hard to get my CPA certificate, and I'm so proud of it. So when I die, I'm putting it on my tombstone. You know, here lies Raj Phillips, CPA, fully depreciated. That's too funny. Too funny. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful, Roger. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me aboard. Thank you. Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't visited that website, please do so. Once again, it's whereaccountantsgo.com. You're going to find the show notes for this episode and links to all important review courses for the CPA exam as well as others. So once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Roger, any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with? Just remember life is short and set some goals and make sure those goals are goals that you're setting for you, not for someone else like your parents. You know, I want to be a CPA because my dad's a CPA. No, you want to be a CPA because you want to be a CPA. And I think you'll find much more joy in life. Well said, definitely. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.